Well, good afternoon, and welcome to Let's Talk, The Pastor is In. I'm program host Kip Allen, and Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. It's not necessarily things that are soul-shaking, although they can be, but it might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. Now, I find that rather getting rather than getting into a deep chapter-and-verse discussion, sometimes just sitting on the front porch with a pastor and talking is the best way to understanding. That's what this program's about. Today's guest is Bill Swirla. He's the pastor of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. Now, I have my questions, and you have yours. So you can send your questions to us by email anytime during the show at Let's Talk at kfuo.org or call during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that area code is 314-821-0850. That includes the Metro East area. Or toll-free anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Swirla, welcome aboard. Ah, I got to press the button, don't I? Okay, let's try that again. Here we go. Pastor Swirla, welcome aboard. (laughs) Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah. Bad, bad. Good to, good to be back on the front porch again, Kip. Yeah, it is. It is. It's been a while since yeah. we, we talked. And I always enjoy it. Listening to your intro, the show made me wonder what kind of show we need. I, maybe I need to make a show for the pastor who has questions. <laughs> you, well, you've, got a, you've got a show for the layman who has questions. But what about for the, the pastor who has questions? We have a lot of questions that nobody even wants to have asked, let alone answered. <laughs> There is that, but you know, a lot of our programming during the day, we got pastors talking to pastors, and that goes on a lot. Yeah, but that it, does go on a lot. Yeah, but you know, it, it, probably, it, probably the cause of half of our problems, but uh, <laughs> it does go on. Yeah, we all know what's right, uh, but we don't always agree. <laughs> so True enough. Yeah. So, what's on your mind today? Well, I'll tell you what. Barbara Bush. Oh, dear Barbara Yes. What a great lady. See, see uh, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't she kind of look like Martha Washington? I, I don't know why. It's just, it's just always... <laughs> all the white was, hair, yeah. <laughs> she was a hoot. I, I, what I loved about her, among many things, was, was she always spoke her mind. Oh, yeah. You know, and she didn't care what anybody thought, and, and she was classy. She, she brought a lot of class to the White House. And and in in many ways she was very motherly or grandmotherly or however you kind of saw her but but she always spoke her mind about her sons about her family about uh, the politics at hand and and boy nobody owned her nobody no. owned her no she was her own woman and you're yeah. right you know she spoke her mind all the time but there was never any malice in what she said no not not none whatsoever and and um yeah. She kind of reminded me, remember the show Dallas? Mm. You know, remember the matriarch of the family? Well, I forgot her name now, but she was the, she, she was the, the actress of, she played the, the, the mother of, of J.R. and, and Bobby and, and, you know, and these are these big oil titans and they're always scheming and they're just, you know, kind of guys. But boy, when they're around mama, all of a sudden everybody behaved. Oh, yeah, yes. I could, I could just see Barbara at Thanksgiving, the Thanksgiving <laughs> table is up. Oh, Mom's here. That's it. You know, and all of a sudden, Jeb and and George, they're just all everybody's toned the line because Mama's here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a bit like my family. Uh, my mother, uh, it's of German extraction, and yeah. uh, 
as <laughs> that family that that extraction is the 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 mother tends to be the matriarch and yes. rules the home roost and it was always it was we never called it my brother and I never called her mom it was always mother mother oh yeah mother well, and I think I think the the senior Bushes they had Episcopalian roots did they not I believe so yeah she was buried out of the Episcopal Church but I I, I know that when uh, when her husband. Um, the elder George Bush was was president that uh, he would be seen on Sundays at at the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of fairly common to new, the New England area too. Uh, and uh, I did recall one time when he was president that he did a very very good, I thought very good articulation of the distinction of the the temporal ordos in terms of uh, church and state, uh, referring to a military funeral or a loss of life with the military and you know he didn't put them in heaven because they were soldiers but but he uh, rightly uh, spoke of their service of country and and their their gift and their vocation and I thought wow that's that's really quite remarkable but but uh, he was a Episcopalian and so he would have gotten that well of course he wasn't Lutheran unfortunately but you know he, he did have the idea correct about the uh, about the fourth uh, about the left-hand kingdom and about the concept of vocation which uh, I think a lot of churches, a lot of faiths miss. They do, and and even I suppose the Anglican Church, being a sort of a state church or church and state combined, there's a little bit of blending of the mm-hmm. two that would make us uncomfortable. But uh, but that's George. We're really talking about Barbara, huh? Yeah. Now Barbara, as as we know, she passed on recently. Yeah. And she did something that uh, struck home to me. And that was, as her health started to fail, she finally said no more. And she refused any further medical treatment except what they call comfort care. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been through that with my wife. We had to go through that. And uh, that raised a lot of questions. I mean, I look at, uh, I don't know, where do we draw the line? Is, is, is it refusing to take medical care the same as asking for your death you know you know what i'm talking about bill it, it absolutely you know th- this is this this is one of the i think harder questions uh that you deal with and it's not just with older people either, is it because you could have a child who's stricken ill and becomes very ill and then catastrophically so so that um, they're on life support, and or or they're in an accident, and and there's a brain injury, head injury, and and there's no real medical hope of of recovery, and so you have those kinds of issues uh, with the elderly. And so, looking at Barbara Bush, you have somebody. How old was she? She was. Oh, she was, was ninety two, I think. She was yeah, way yeah, up so, there. Which is way way beyond the biblical three score and ten. Okay, in fact, if if I'm correct, you just hit the biblical three score and ten. Uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. And yeah, I'm starting to think about this more and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a symbolic thing in the Psalms of seventy being a great I hope so. of, of completeness. And we we hope to have a few more years of you uh, after beyond that. But uh, I intend to have several decades more of me. You, you do get into this period, and we all age differently. Some, some are. I, I know people in their nineties quite, uh, quite active, uh, mm-hmm. remarkably so. I, I wish I were as active as they are. 
and then there are others that uh, they're, they're, the series of health setbacks eventually begins to take its toll. I think of my own mother-in-law that way, who mm-hmm. suffered from a number of chronic problems that eventually they, they kind of catch up with you in your body. And, and then the question kind of comes is when, when the doctors can't fix or at least apply a good patch, what then? What do you do? And in Barbara Bush's case, it was she said, okay, enough i'm I'm ready to go don't bother trying to keep me alive anymore just keep me comfortable is this a proper action for a christian to take yeah and it's a that's a great question i think pastors hear it all the time when per when their people in their congregation want to talk about it or pray about it and mm-hmm. uh i've i've talked through it several times and i've with my own parents. Uh, my mom's still alive, but uh, she recites her DNR every time we come over. <laughs> you know, I have a DNR, you know. I said, that's good. Yeah, we all know that, Mom. We have it memorized at this point. But, um, and I have kind of a saying that's sort of, um, it's, the, it, it, it's the heading of the whole discussion is just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you must. So we have a lot of medical tricks in the bag yeah and more and more all the time when the psalmist wrote that three score and ten is a full life and 80 if we have the strength he didn't have nearly the tricks that we have today and uh you know pharmaceuticals can pickle you into your 90s and they're even (laughs) trying to you know routinely crack the 100 barrier i don't know but here's the question and the question is is do we have to use all these resources available especially bearing in mind that they are not without their own side effects oh yeah their, their own consequences i know this from my mother with all the prescription medications she takes and she's really at the stage in her life, late 80s, where she's actually trying to wean herself of some of these things because she doesn't need them, really. You know, it's like, why do I take a statin for cholesterol? Who cares about my cholesterol at the age of 89? You, know? oh, yeah. you care about it at 59, but at 89, what what's it going to do? And I think that that's the nature of that conversation is what are you going to do? And And just mm-hmm. because you can do something does it mean that you must do something and well, that kind of gets into the biblical framework of the discussion. that's what i'm thinking of uh is is by not extending our life to the maximum are we simply following god's original plan or are we thwarting it because we're we're not using the tools that we have well, if, if God wanted you to know exactly how long you are to live, and if I take the psalmist seriously, he says that our, all, the days, all of our days are numbered before one of them came to be. So I presume that on some hidden place somewhere is stamped our expiration date. Mm. <laughs> but I don't know what it is. And I, quite frankly, don't want to know because it would really mess up. Oh yeah, <laughs> today and tomorrow, really badly. So I mean, it's good we don't know. It's one of those things like the coming of Christ on the last day, where it's just not given us to know, and really not good to speculate. But I don't think there's a hard line. You talked about where the line is. I don't think there is a line, and that's what makes it so very, I think, difficult and personal, and and it really is uh, something that each of us, uh, not only in our own lives, but with the lives of the people we love. 
and that listen to us and seek our advice that we have to wrestle with prayerfully. Uh, the verse that I always use is, it was a verse that was very, very dear to a friend of mine who died of colon cancer in his early 50s. Mm. And you know, in your early 50s, you throw everything but the kitchen sink at the thing because you, you, you're basically, you're trying to buy uh, five to 10 years and see if, if medicine comes up with another good trick at that point. And the way things go, that kind of works. But at some point, it was clear that we were running out of tricks. The doctor had no more tricks in the bag. But but my friend Charlie's favorite verse in all of this was uh, from Philippians. I think it's Philippians one twenty one: To live is Christ and to die is gain. And and he, he loved that because it was win-win. Whether he lived uh, another 10, 20, 30, 40 years or whether he died a couple of days later, it was win-win. Yeah. Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think that defines the Christian approach to the whole thing. So that we don't like actively seek death. Like, I want to die. And, you know, Kip, I want you to just put a pillow over my face and kill me. And no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Because, because you really don't know what sort of turn of events you've got. And, and it's also a self-oriented decision. And we are, if you want to rule of thumb, it's the other that matters. It's the other, not the self. Mm. It's, it's your neighbor. Sometimes there's a good reason to keep people alive for, you know, even with heroic measures so that a son could come back from New York, so that a daughter could be reconciled with a father. You know, there, there, are, there are all kinds of things, but these are very, very personal circumstances. They are, and, you know, part of it is, you know, we joked a little bit before the, uh, the program where I said, you know, nobody's going to get out of this life alive, which isn't strictly true because we know about eternal life, but the... Uh, there might be some on the last day for whom the tweaking yeah. of an eye thing. But, but hey, yeah. okay, let, let's let's just call it what it is. You may as well be dead at that point because That's if true. we're all changed in the twinkling of an eye, we just we've just kind of eliminated standing in line. That's all. That's it. But the thing is, is that it's probably going to happen to all of us. You know, as you pointed, unless well, it is going to happen to all of us. And the thing is. You know, so many of us decide that we we just don't want to think about it at any stage in our life. You know, I'm, I'm 70 years old now. I've thought about it. I've made some preparations. But, you know, maybe I should have been doing this before. Uh, my my closest friend, lifelong friend, I mean, we were, we were like brothers growing up together. And he had a massive stroke uh, about six years ago, six, seven years ago. And uh, went into the hospital and... Uh, after a couple of days, I got a call from his son and said, you know, he said, well, his dad's in the hospital and they've done the test and he's brain dead. What should I do? What would he have wanted? He's asking me, you know, what would my friend have wanted the plug pulled? I told him, yeah, he would. And my reasoning on that over and above what I thought my friend would have wanted was I think at that point, even though the body is alive, the soul has departed. Am I wrong in that? I, you might be saying a bit too much or kind of going beyond what you know. There's a great mystery to the unity of soul and body, and that, that's kind of a way of speaking. You know, the, the, the Jews actually thought that the soul kind of hung around the body for a little bit, even after somebody was dead. I, I like to think in terms of... You, you use the term pulling the plug, um, and I've been around for some of those those events. Uh, some people have actually lived after that. 
these are life assist, life support machines, whether yeah. they be respirators or other things. And the plug that we're pulling is we're pulling um, plugs on machines. We're turning off machines, and they really don't pull a plug. Yeah, uh, just... but they they gently and carefully uh, and intentionally turn off machines that are supporting basic life processes like breathing. And um, sometimes people do end up breathing on their own. Sometimes they don't. And, oh, we're and seeing that die. with that case of that baby in uh, in England right now. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think there's a reminder here that when you do that, when we turn off the machine, we're not killing somebody. We are withdrawing the mechanical medical support. In a sense, it's placing people into God's hands to do what he does best. Uh, not to say that the interventions aren't also gifts of God. They are. And you don't want to get caught in that trap either way. But this is where what I said at the start comes into play. Just because you can doesn't mean you must. And I'll use that respirator as a good example. So my dad had open heart surgery when he was in his 70s. And he was a little slow coming out of the surgery. And so he was on life support, the same machines plugged in, for two, three days. Now, nobody was talking about pulling the plug, <laughs> you know, because there was every prospect that he was going to get better and emerge from it. But there was concern and the doctors were concerned. And I remember that hasty flight back home. My mom says, I really think you need to come home. And they're concerned. And so he came home. But but eventually, three days, four days later, uh, they were able to wean him from the respirator. And, and he went on to live for another 15 years after after that that procedure. So there, the the medical machinery was a great gift. It supported his breathing. It took the pressure off of his 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 pulmonary system, and that's so that he could recover from the surgery. Uh, different scenario: somebody's in a car accident, they're massive head trauma, and they're put on life support, and there's no other end to this. See, so what about that? And I've had members of my congregation who've uh, died of chronic lung disease, where eventually they ended up on a, a respirator they didn't want because somebody didn't read the DNR. And mm. uh, and then once you're on, then you got a real issue. You got a different, totally different issue with the doctors. It's a completely different conversation than he doesn't want to be put on the machine to we need to turn the machine off. Totally different conversation at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. Now, I had... Um uh, you know, I mentioned that uh, I went through this with my with my late wife. Uh, she had the same thing Barbara Bush had, COPD. Uh, but she wanted all the heroic measures to stay. And, you know, we went through the, the phases. There was That's what they call palliative care, which uh, you go into when the doctors will no longer be treating the disease. I said the disease can't be defeated at this point. All, so what they do is just treat the symptoms. But death is not imminent. And then when the doctors feel that it's like six months off, then they go into what's called hospice care. And this is, again, treating the symptoms, but it's much more aggressive, not even really treating the symptoms. It's just treating the pain, making sure it gets better and uh, making sure that the person is comfortable. And we hit a point where when we were in the hospice situation and uh, my wife had gone into the hospital for a relatively routine procedure as much as you can get in in that particular situation. And she just went sour quick. Mm. And the doctor came to me and said, 
What's your choice? We can let her go on her own or we can treat her. And I got to tell you, Bill, that was one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make in my life. Absolutely. I, and and it's, it's, it's kind of, it's like every medical procedure, every drug has its side effects. Every procedure has its mm-hmm. other side. Oh, yeah, and they do. The, the other side is this choice. There, there was a time and a place, you know, put yourself in the shoes of St. Paul, first century Roman society. They didn't have those choices because they didn't have those machines. That, that choice wasn't given them. So in some senses, it was easier because the intervention was less. The intervention possibilities uh, were, were fewer. But today we have a lot of things, and they can do a lot of good, but they can also create a lot of, I think, moral confusion, anxiety, and, and it's hard. It, 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 you have the sense of their life is in your hands, and you're deciding whether they live or die, yeah. which is not really true. But it's, it's true in the sense of you're deciding whether to continue to intervene medically or not. Well, that's what had happened here in this case was where, you know, it, if they were to treat what had made her go sour, she would live. Uh, even though she was still in hospice. And my choice was just to let her go yeah. or to bring her back. But she had said specifically she did not, she, she did not do a DNR. She said specifically she wanted to hang on as long as possible. Yeah. So I told him to treat her. Uh, and and that's 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 what that's what she wanted, and you honored her wishes. And I think there's a paradox in the Christian life of, on the one hand, we fully embrace life, life from its very beginning at conception. We we fully embrace life uh, as a sacred gift of God. And entirely in God's hands, he knit us together in our mother's wombs, and he'll close our eyes on the last day of our life, and he'll raise us from the dead to eternal life in Christ on the last day. Uh, this is our hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same token, we, we, um, where death is the inevitable fact <laughs> of our being born of Adam, yeah. you know, all children of Adam are going to die, uh, we, we don't necessarily run from death as though we're afraid. The good shepherd has gone ahead of us through the dark valley of the shadow of death, and we follow him. And we follow him precisely through death and resurrection. So there's a confidence. You know, St. Paul, 1 Corinthians, Oh, death, where is your victory? Grave, where's your sting? Shaking his fist. You know, that all you got? You know, (laughs) that it? Yeah, what do you? What's you kill me? That's the that's all you got, and and see that's that's the kind of the Christian confidence. So we don't go running to our death. I, I kind of view it the same as martyrdom. You didn't volunteer to be a martyr. Oh, me, pick me, pick me. Although some started doing that, so they they had to stop honoring the martyrs because no, don't do that. We're not going to honor you if you volunteer. Okay, yeah, that's it. And, and, and even Saint Paul, he saves his own skin by being lowered over the city wall in a basket. Or by appealing to Caesar for protective custody so he doesn't get pulled to pieces in Jerusalem. So he saves his own neck when he can. But then in Second Timothy, he knows he's not getting out of here alive. And he's confident. I've, I've run the race. You know, there's a, there's a crown waiting for me on the day of the Lord's appearing. He's, he's, and so he's, he's fine with that. And so where death has... It, where it's inevitable and the, the medicine men have run out of tricks or you've just run out of steam, 
Um, you know, there's nothing unchristian about saying, you know, come Lord Jesus, Lord, let at last thine angels come to yeah. Abram's bosom, bear me home. Uh, you know, so it's a both end. And I, I think we, we're going to get caught either way. If you go like pursuing death, like this is, this is the way, then you're, you're rejecting life as the sacred mm-hmm. gift of God. But if you cling to life, this life, as though that's all there is, then you're denying the gift of eternal life that God has given for you oh. through your death and resurrection, because you don't get a ticket around it. No, you don't. And, and uh, again, in my own personal experience, I, uh, back in, oh gosh, 2004, I guess it was, I had a heart attack. It was not a good one. And I'm in the, uh, I'm, I'm in the intensive care. And Bill, it was one of the most peaceful moments of my life. It was that, you know, I had nothing to worry about from this point. I didn't have to worry about paying the bills. I didn't have to worry about getting up and going to work in the morning. You know, you got, you got nothing to lose. I got nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, it's, <laughs> I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. It's completely out of my hands. You know, I'm either going to get up in the morning, I'm going to go home eventually, or I'm going to go to heaven. Hey, it's cool. Of course, that may have been the drugs talking, but... <laughs> yeah, there's always that factor, but... but yeah. You know, it, it, as Christians, we, we've, we kind of... We're both dead and alive at the same time. Oh, anyway, yeah. That God, by his word in baptism, has declared us dead to sin the old adam has been declared dead god has signed off on the death certificate even though we're still alive yet <laughs> so he's kind of signed off in advance and then but he's also signed our birth certificate and and we're born as as new new men and women mm. as, as the new person in christ so that paul can say that if anyone is in christ he is already a new creation the old has passed away and the new has come well we have a so, tradition at, at my church at my congregation is uh, at the end of the service when we give the announcements, we not only announce all the parishioners' birthdays, but what they call the rebirth as well, which is their Absolutely. baptism day. Yeah, we're doubly born. And yeah. that the, and that second birth is is, is that that's the eternal one. That's that's the, that's the one that holds uh, for keeps. The first one only it's got an expiration date on that that first one, <laughs> the one we don't know. You know. And trust me, when you get older, some of the body parts start wearing out. The warranties yeah, no, expire. No secret there. There, there are a couple of places I, I quoted from for, uh, from Philippians one twenty one. That's a good one, but. Second uh, Corinthians five. I actually have it open in front of me, so I don't uh, paraphrase it. But but Saint Paul talks about life in this body as basically being um, life in a tent, not a permanent dwelling, but a tent, kind of like Israel on the hillsides in their in their huts. You know, they they're wanderers. But he talks about um, you're not really at home, and his desire is to be at home with the Lord. This is our yearning. This is why nostalgia plays such a big role in our lives. We, we yearn for home and that safe place, that place mm. where, we're, where, we're, where we're, we're safe and secure. So uh, from 2 Corinthians 5, he says, um, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Not to say that the Lord isn't with us, but we're not in his face-to-face presence in that way. Uh, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather, get this now, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh, yeah. 
See, so, so actually, to live is Christ, to die is gain. We'd rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And then he goes on to talk about the judgment and that. But the, the, the idea here is that, that this, this temporal life is, is, is what it, it is, a temporal life. And we actually need new bodies for eternity. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about the resurrection body as being not a physical body, but a spiritual body. And that doesn't mean not a body. That's, it's this funny phrase, spiritual body. But it means a body that's fit for eternal life, mm. a, fo- a body that's fit for this existence before God. And, and our Christian hope is not simply to be some disembodied soul floating around, you know, in the clouds or even worse, an angel with, with I hate harp music. So, so you know, <laughs> I, I know, but, but to, to the resurrect, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting in precisely that order. So th- that's why the body is so terribly important. And, yeah. and, uh, so we, we have a hope. And because we have this hope, we don't go running from death as though this was like the worst thing that could happen to us. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. But Bill, I'll tell you what is the worst thing is I got to take a break right now. Terrible. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back right after these messages. <laughs> make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. Hi, this is Pastor Stanis Stanley inviting you to join Christian Friends of New Americans on Saturday, April 28th at Concordia Seminary for our Freedom 5K Run and Walk. The cost is $30 per person. Seminary students and some families are free. If you're not able to participate, you can support a refugee child. Do it for fun and do it to help refugees and immigrants learn about Jesus. For more information or to register, cfna-stl.org slash walk. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Who brought his false god to the eagle's nest? Bless them and curse you. Ah! Kill Do good to them that hate you. Discover a world where knowing Jesus is a matter of life and death. Wild Rider Theater presents Escape from the Eagle's Nest. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. 
In April 1917, President Woodrow Wilson asked Congress for a declaration of war against the German Empire. But did you know, thousands of American soldiers shipped to France and Belgium carried with them pocket Bibles supplied by the American Bible Society? And in the front of some of those Bibles was a note written by President Woodrow Wilson, urging soldiers to read their Bibles. He wrote, The Bible is the word of life. I beg that you read it and find this out for yourselves. Read not little snatches here and there, but long passages that will really be the road to the heart of it. The message, signed by President Woodrow Wilson, can be seen on the Impact of the Bible floor of Museum of the Bible as you engage with this book of all books. And we won't come back till it's all not over there. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk the Pastors In. I'm host Kip Allen. My guest pastor is Bill Swirler from Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights, California. And we are talking about end of life. How do we plan for it? How should our families plan for it? What's the Christian view of it? If you have questions or comments, you can give it to us through uh, email at Let's Talk at kfuo.org. Or you can call in in the St. Louis area, including Metro East at area code 314-821-0850. Or you can call in anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Well, we've really got some interesting things to talk about here, Bill. You know, I, as we, uh, on break, I was just kind of thinking about a friend of mine, somebody you know, too, uh, from the LCMS's uh, life um movement and that is Maggie Carner. Remember? Oh Maggie? yes, right. And Maggie had this kind of brain tumor that somebody else uh, prominent in the news had and, and this other person made prominence by the fact that she intentionally had uh took her own life. Mm-hmm. Brittany so yeah. I forgot her last and I name. remember Maggie reaching out to her and and uh, because they were they were really kind of a sisterhood. They had the same same condition and the same prognosis. And uh, Maggie pursued both uh, medical treatment to to cure or or to bang back this this uh, disease, and yet at the same time she did it in the full confidence of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that was hers in Christ, and I think she exemplified that 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 twofold approach that that a christian does we don't we don't turn away god's gift of medicine on the one hand but on the other hand we don't we don't run away from death as though that was the last thing to be said about us because christ has conquered death and uh, and i think she exemplified that beautifully both in her life and in her death mm-hmm. she did and and something that she really highlighted is that uh, death is in private it affects not just the person who dies, but the loved ones, people around them, co-workers, family, friends. And it's something that needs to be considered and, and planned for, I think. Well, and I think it's, it's useful to, to face up to your own as well. I've taught uh, in the past, I've done some segments on death and dying and was fascinated by the medieval catechisms of dying called the Ars Morendi, the art, the art of dying, Moriendi, the art of dying. Uh, to which um, our own Lutheran um, Johann Gerhardt wrote uh, a series of meditations uh, for the dying, and and they're they're a really interesting uh, set of meditations for the kind of temptations of the soul 
when one is facing one's own mortality. And he kind of wrote this in response to it. But the the spirit of the age and of the time was that, that you recognize that you could die. Uh, you, there's the Black Plague. There was war. There are many ways to go. And people planned very intentionally things like their their final words. You know, Luther's famous, we are all beggars. Uh, he probably didn't say that, but it was written on a piece of paper on the nightstand because they actually planned this. What would be my words that I want to be remembered by? They chose Bible passages to have them inscribed on their coffins. And they were very intentional about that, too. Some people think that Brahms' Requiem Mass is actually a compilation of common funeral Bible passages that people would choose for that purpose. My point is they were very intentional about planning for their dying. Sometimes, um, actually I've written a couple of stories on this, where uh, if you go through certain old cemeteries... Look at the tombstones, and you'll see that there's something written on it over and above the date of death and what have you. It says something about this person. It's yeah. their their last comment to the living. And well, one one other one other thing that people would do, and it was a very commonplace thing in even in our country in the 19th century, was to make your own coffin, oh. and and they would use it as a storage chest or a bookcase or whatever they'd use it for uh, until it was needed, as they say. <laughs> okay, and, that and I didn't so, know. <laughs> now, now, and some of the the monks actually slept in their coffins, which is kind of an interesting take on if I die before I wake, then I'm already packaged you know oh, and ready to go but uh and, and i've done a bit of as a woodworker i've built a couple of coffins oh, one, one, one for i can think of better hobbies to have bill they're actually fun to build um one one for a friend one for my mother-in-law actually and uh, all i can say is that when you do build a coffin in your garage it's best to tell the neighbors in advance because <laughs> it should something happen it doesn't look good you know it just doesn't look good uh <laughs> it was it was kind of a, a feature attraction to the neighborhood kids because I used to have these young you know these young the, the young boys they're they're strutting around the street and they used to come by the garage all the time because I had a lot of noise and sawdust happening and I said what are you doing said, what are you building I said a coffin <laughs> and the kid the, the kid goes like for a body I said yeah and 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 then uh, it was almost done and so I opened the lid I said want to try it out and the kid runs out of the garage it's just <laughs> So fun, but there was an, there's an intentionality that I think we're lacking today. Well, people don't even they they don't want to talk about uh, a will. They don't yeah. want to talk about uh, these directives, these medical directives. And there's so many options available to you. They don't want to plan their funerals. And and you know what happens is it ends up in the hands of your relatives, your kids. And it's a burden. It's a huge burden. Oh, it's it is an emotional train wreck. Uh, And I thank my mom constantly. She's got it all laid out as best one could, as only a German mother could do. Oh yeah, but but it's all laid out. So you know when that moment comes with her, she has basically, to the best of her powers and abilities, she's basically got everything down so that we basically can say this is what mom wants. And this is what she's arranged. Yeah. And I'm very thankful for that. Well, when my mother passed away, it was the same thing. Uh, my brother and I uh, had to go out and take care of, this, uh, of things. It was in, they were living in Florida at the time. But mother had, 
little tags on everything in the apartment. This goes to my sister Carla. This goes to my... (laughs) (laughs) Everything. Even if Carla doesn't want it, she's getting it, baby. Right. (laughs) But as you pointed out, that's what a German mother does. (laughs) Well, my mom's mom's busy just kind of getting rid of excess stuff. You know, my dad died four years ago, and Mm -hmm. she's really only now adjusting to life by herself. She still talks about that. But, and, you know, she's come to the realization that grief is not a passing thing. You One always lives grieving the death of those we love. But like St. Paul says, we grieve with hope. But grief never goes away because love never goes away. So That's let's get a over good that point. notion. You know, I mean, you get, you, you get, you adjust. You're alive. You move on. But you never get over a person you love. That's ridiculous. No, you don't. But you should make it easier as you can, make it as easy as you can with your family and your loved ones. You need to sit down and talk about it. Uh, and there are, there are social workers, there are uh, resources that are available for this type of discussion. I'm sure that the uh, LCMS has some as well. They do. Uh, and there's actually, I think CTCR put uh, a really good uh, thing on end-of-life decisions. There are a couple, I think you can find it at the lcms.org website. And uh, it's the, those, are, those are handy. They give a framework, a guideline, a set of guidelines, things to think about mm-hmm. before you need to think about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like... Do you, uh, do you have a DNR? Do not resuscitate? Do you have uh, and, and a... And plan, plan your funeral with your pastor. Yeah. And, and, and one of the best funeral planning things is don't plan a funeral. It's not a special event for you. You use the agenda book, use the, 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 the ritual that our church has, and maybe just remind him of what a couple of your favorite hymns are. And that's all, that's all he needs. And, and then... And then it's not in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing. Well, I've told, I've already made arrangements on mine. I'm going to, uh, I'm going, my body is being willed to for various uses. I figure once I don't need any more, maybe it can be used to help other people. You're going, you're going to spare parts. I'm going to spare parts. <laughs> and after they have. I, I'm, a, I'm a donor. I'm a donor. It's on yeah. my, it's on my, uh, it's on my driver's license. Yeah. Although I'm getting to the age where I'm not sure anybody wants the parts <laughs> any longer. Well, well, what they're, they're going to do is they're going to take what's left over, and uh, supposedly they're going to cremate <laughs> it. And I put my nephew down as the recipient of my ashes. The thing is, is that he and I are both beer brewers. And whenever I go and visit uh, the family out in New Mexico, there's this little bar where you go to is where they, they, they do oh, wonderful homebrews. It's really kind of a laid back place up in the upper desert place called the lazy lizard. And uh, <laughs> so I told him, I want lazy him to lizard. the lazy lizard. <laughs> I told him, I want him to have my ashes in an urn and put it there in the, and make sure that the bar will, will, will put it there. That way I can continue to have drinks with them, even though I'm sort of not dead, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of not alive. <laughs> And I told uh, should, should we unpack the bad theology of what you're articulating here? Save that for another time, Kip. Well, I think the theology, well, yeah, I, I understand. Think, I think the floorboards of this porch might collapse under the weight of that conversation. <laughs> Let me just say, I do want to say one point okay. to this, because I know people are listening in, okay? So I, I, I feel a duty, an obligation. Um I I'm not I don't want to unpack this is not this show's point about cremation and all of that stuff but yeah. um I do think location 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 is is vitally vitally important 
uh, in the sense that we occupied time and space in this life. We left footprints upon this earth. And there is something very comforting, not for the person who died. They're fine. They're with the Lord. But but there's something comforting for the living to have a place uh, and a reference point. And this, this became acutely, uh, I became acutely aware of this when I was... Uh, it, part of a, a burial at sea thing, a scattering of ashes at the mm-hmm. sea. And I don't like scattering. Scattering is the really, that, that's problematic for me because we are not dust in the wind, okay? We we are body and soul. But what 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 was so amazing was the captain of the ship gave the GPS coordinates mm-hmm. to, to the family. And I thought, wow, location matters. Well, actually, I had that with my wife. She was uh, her ashes were buried at sea, and okay. got, a, got a certificate with the with the GPS. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now that's kind of hard to go back to, but you could. Mm-hmm. You could, and and I'm not much of a go to the grave kind of person. Some cultures are, you know, the Mexicans are they're they're great for that. They have whole parties at Grandma's grave, but um, especially the Day of the Dead. But mm. but. Uh, um, there is something I, I do go back to my my father's uh, graveside with my mom. It's it's is very important to her, and there's just something about place that is very very important. So I I like to counsel my people that if you go the way of cremation, be sure be sure that we tuck you somewhere so that we can just we have a reference point. We got a GPS coordinate for you. Uh, we know you're with the Lord, but your body is somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and that that and the Lord will awaken you, and He can awaken any of, and He can awaken you if you've given away some of your parts too. That's not a problem. No, I'm not it's worried not. about that. But but I think location is important. So I'm just kind of tossing that out to you to think about, and those people who are listening into this private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's I, I see your point on that, and it's uh, I'm sure it's a valid one. And I know that there's some dispute within the synod on the role of cremation, if it should be done or shouldn't be done. Um, and you know, as I, I think whatever we do and say as we're planning our, you know, the the words we want to leave behind. Uh, whatever we do or say, I, I think it should leave that mark of one who is confident in the resurrection of the body and the life mm-hmm. everlasting because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's the greatest gift you can leave to the people who are grieving your death, is give them the opportunity to grieve in hope. Yes. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. You know, well, again, when my mother to... died, she she was very insistent that her memorial service be a party. <laughs> yeah, I'm all I'm all down on that. That's the, yeah. <laughs> and I've told my 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 wife now, the one I'm married to now, that uh, that should I predecease her, I want a keg party. <laughs> a keg party. That's like Robert Capon says. When I die, he says um, he says don't go to the funeral home. They, they don't allow uh, liquor there. He says just lay me out on the couch with a with a case of good wine at one end and a case of scotch at the other end and and, and sit around and tell stories about me. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm 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 down with that program. You know, the the Barbara Bush thing does bring up another thing that I I think we should just mention. Yeah. Um, and as part of your experience too, and mine. Um, is the the care the palliative care yes provides and that is increasingly becoming part of the hospital's overall care um, I'm noticing at least the hospital that I'm associated with in my medical plan they offer palliative care as part of a continuum of their own care which is kind of nice you're not handed off like a football yeah. 
but you you retain kind of the same doctors and everybody else, but their 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 approach is more toward comfort than cure. And, oh yes, and I appreciate that. I think that's really really good. And I think personally, pastorally, I think people wait too long on that. Oh, I agree with that completely. I had no idea how this worked until the you know the the hospital told me that there was really nothing that they could do at this point and we needed to pass her off into palliative care i said what the heck is palliative care i had no yeah, idea so what it don't was don't even know the term no yeah. i didn't i didn't and this is where i think barbara bush did all of us from her position of you know relatively high visibility she did all of us a really big favor because she brought this to light in her own words and with her own confidence and and basically said this is what i want and in a sense she's made us think about that but i i really do believe that people wait too long as though the minute you get handed off to hospice you're as good as dead well you're dying all along it's an acceptance of that mm -hmm. and the problem is the acceptance we're, we're we're resisting we're denying we're bargaining we're doing all this stuff and and we haven't come to that what I would call a Christian acceptance. Yeah. Well, of, Billy, you and I are dying right now. Know. I mean, it's. I mean, if there's yeah, no and I'm feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Under <laughs> <laughs> my age, of course, of course, day by day, right, minute mm -hmm. by minute. And man, I would like to know what the expiration date is that stamped <laughs> on me in some hidden place somewhere. But no, I don't. I really don't. No. That would that, that would that would just like mess up dinner tonight. I think. Yeah, that would not be fun. But, but you know, the Lord is good and he's gracious and he works good even in death. He's, 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 he's made death the gateway to eternal life. There are like two passages in the Bible that just freak me out. You know, we all know the wages of sin is death and, you know, it's all that kind of thing. But, but precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his children from the Psalms. Precious. And from the Revelation, blessed are they who die in the Lord. Blessed. Mm. So this is this is a different thing, thanks to Jesus. It is, uh, and God gives us the the brain and the willpower to know that this is something that it's going to happen. We need to plan for it, and and the resources yeah. are there. Uh, I was idiot. I was a fool. I did not even dream about it. Boy, I'm not going to put my family through that ever. Hmm. Yeah, and and that's that's a great gift that you leave to those who love you, is that is is a clear, a confident witness in life and death. So that Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, Christ mm -hmm. is glorified. What a, what a great what a, you, we worry about legacy. We talk about legacy. There's your legacy yeah. right there. Yeah. Well, I I sometimes uh, say only half jokingly. You know, I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. Uh, it is a nasty process. Right? It nasty. is. I, it I hurts. totally agree. <laughs> but that's what palliative and hospice care is about, is it doesn't have to hurt. It doesn't have to be that frightening. It can be very comforting. And uh, I the, think sometimes people, and good Christian people, sometimes think that that's a false comfort, like you're, you should suffer. Uh, how, how is uh, and, that? And, I, I don't know, but but I think it's this idea that the, that death is the wages of sin, 
and therefore being sinners, we need to feel the full brunt of that. And and the thing is, <laughs> they're imposing that on other people. Oh yeah, not themselves. You know, this is this is an expectation that I'm laying on somebody else. That if they were a real Christian, of course, they wouldn't need painkillers. They just they just take it, take it like a Christian. <laughs> Uh, and I think there's a lot of misreading about what's going on, say, with Jesus on the cross. And then again, always remember, you are not Jesus on the cross. He's bearing, he's bearing you. you. You're not imitating him. So that's not the way that works anyway. No, it's not. And um, you know, there's, I don't see anything in the Bible that I have read that says that it's wrong to avoid pain or to alleviate suffering. Quite the opposite. Well, and this this is that whole realm of medical science too, which sometimes creates ethical questions. It should. These are these are questions of ethics, and ethics don't exactly have black and white answers no. to them. But um, you know, painkillers are good. Uh, painkillers, <laughs> I tell you, you know, post surgery, you're thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, a life addicted to painkillers, not good. No. And so the, there's, there's <laughs> the the thing itself is good because everything in the created order is good. We know that from the Bible, but not all of it is good for you under all circumstances. No, but for example, as as we pointed out, you know, hospice is when death is over the horizon. And one of the things they will do in hospice is they'll be much more aggressive in trying to fight pain. And at that point, you know, they're not going to worry about whether or not you're going to get addicted to morphine. Yeah, I love that. You know, oh, be careful. That's an addictive substance. Yeah. This person is dying. Okay, I don't think addiction is really on the table here. And should the Lord cause a remarkable 180 degree turnabout, we'll we'll get them off. The, we'll get them off the painkillers. Okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's wow. one of the things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've heard people say, "Well, actually, my wife did that." Well, I'm going to take morphine. That's going to might addict me. Well, <laughs> yeah. All right, I'll, I'll I'll take addiction for two hundred, Bob. That's <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's my door number three? Yeah, it's, I would I would like I would like if it's given me, I would like to be lucid enough to be able to communicate with my loved ones and pray yes. with them and sing hymns and if the pain that i experience is so excruciating that i can't even think straight then the painkiller is really a gift isn't it yeah that's true that's very true and and you know it's it's, it's a gift it really is and i think it's it's to refuse it in a situation like that is almost uh, it's almost insulting to god he doesn't want you to, to to go through that kind of agony. That's why Jesus was here. Yeah, and he did go through that kind of agony for us and for our salvation. And that's our confidence. That you know, it's that's that's why we can talk the way we do about this topic. Mm. Well, Bill, we're in our last minute. Do you have any uh, final thoughts here? I think we had a lot of final thoughts. On that one. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the topic, yeah, right. <laughs> But you know, it, it, as you said so well, it, it's 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 we we we, we none, none of us gets out of this alive, <laughs> and 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 thanks be to Christ who has risen from the dead and has conquered death by His dying, and has opened the door to everlasting life to all who believe in Him. That that we we have this hope, and it's not a hope simply for ourselves, but a hope for our loved ones who have died in the Lord ahead of us that we can still grieve their absence in this life and yet with hope look for that great and glorious reunion in the resurrection 
on the last day. So it's not the last word. It's the second to last word. Life is the last word. Absolutely. Thank you for those words, Bill. You've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. And today's guest was Bill Swirla, Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Hacienda Heights. And every Friday, I sit down with the pastor for a friendly little chat. I want to give a special thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of All Glory, Lord, and Honor as the theme song for Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Pastor Bowie's music and books are available at Amazon.com. I'm host Kip Allen, wishing you God's blessing. A weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.